Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys here. See, have some people here we haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. For those watching online, again, thank you for tuning in. And we hope that this time together is going to be useful and productive in our growth, in our faith, uh, an opportunity for us to listen perhaps in ways that we don't during the week, to think in ways that maybe we forget to uh, during the week. Just an opportunity for us to, with one another, encounter the divine. So let's pause and let's pray as we lean into that. God, we are often aware that you exist and are there, but we don't often lean into that reality. And believing is walking in that knowledge. And so before us this morning is an opportunity to allow the place where we think and believe to connect with how we live and act. And I pray that by your spirit, you would help us to do that. We are grateful for opportunities like this to change our focus and direction and may it in turn change our lives. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. We do want to be aware of just some of the needs that have come into us. You know, we want to lift up Brianna, whose grandmother passed away um, and she was close to her. And again, so thankful for her, how she takes care of the kids um, every Sunday. We thank Lydia, Lydia, who's there right now watching the kids and helping. And again, for everyone who helps put this together, for Gil, for Rick, Randy, and everyone who is supportive to Genesis, even online through your finances, contributing to this, we are appreciative of those things. And we... <laughs> and Sam, I thank you for me, God. Um, <laughs> we do want to have a heart of gratitude in all these areas and for all these people. Uh, I do ask for a prayer for my mother-in-law. Um, and she's going through some things, and they're trying to find out what it is. Uh, many of you saw on the prayer email for uh, my Aunt Rose's nephew, Tim, who is injured um, and again, there's a lot of other people who are in similar situations where they're going through needs. Uh, Jason has put on a request to, for some things happening in his life. And so even as Randy 
shared, you know, as, as we get together, we get together in the totality of all the things that are happening in our lives collectively. And some of us are in good spaces, some of us are in iffy spaces, uh, and some of us are in difficult spaces, right? And so um, that is where we come with who we are. And that's an important part of, I think, this faith that we're trying to live. Um, the next three weeks, I am going to be going through uh, Psalm 23. And then after that, on Mother's Day, I'm going to start a series. I'm not sure how long it's going to be, but it's going to be um, about the misuse of Scripture relating to women. I figured Mother's Day was a great day to start that. Um, and hopefully, again, help us to maybe get a deeper understanding and empathy for uh, women and the things that they have endured throughout history. Um, but today I, I want to look at the 23rd Psalm, and I'm currently going through, just almost through with a book that's called The Lord is My Courage by K.J. Ramsey. And she's a therapist who suffers from chronic pain, and she's got a lot of insight. And many of you might be familiar with a book that was called uh, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. And I read that book a long time ago, and it's got some interesting things, but there is a lot more that I think has come to, to my attention regarding this psalm, and a lot of it is, I believe, good, but it's also inquisitive, and I wasn't sure what to call this series because it, it's kind of an inquisitive look at Psalm 23. It's kind of a deconstructed look at Psalm 23, but it's not about blasting Psalm 23. It's about actually connecting to it in a way that I think is meaningful and hopefully as much to you as it's been to me. And so we're gonna start with reading the whole Psalm because it's only six verses. In Psalm 23, and then I'm reading from the Holman uh, Christian Standard Bible. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This psalm, a psalm of David, begins with the Lord is my shepherd. And when you hear that word, Lord, what do you think? Where does your mind go? Is it a good feeling? Is it one of oppression? It could change depending on what your view is. The definition that they're going to put up on the screen here, the definition of the word Lord is someone or something having power, authority, or influence, a master or ruler. So that's what the word means. But when you bring Jesus into the picture, it adds some seasoning to that definition. At least it does for me, right? Because 
of how he wielded authority, because of how he wielded power, that it wasn't for his gain, but it was actually to help others. And Jesus begins his ministry with being baptized. And the baptism of John was the baptism into repentance, which makes me wonder why would he need to do that? But it's where he started. And and I believe the starting with a baptism into repentance is a a baptism into identification, a, a baptism that connected him to us in a very dramatic way. And after he was baptized in Matthew 3, 17, it says, and there came a voice from heaven. This is my beloved son. I take delight in him. So before Jesus made water into wine, before he fed the 5,000, before he healed the beggar who was born blind, before he went in obedience to the cross, he was beloved. He was loved by God, not because of what he did, but because of who he was. You're beloved. Many of us have been baptized into the waters of scarcity where we feel the only way to be given the name beloved is to earn it. You're beloved when you do, then you earn that love. You have to do enough. You have to be good enough or, or don't do what's bad. You have to make sure you don't fall into a place where you are no longer loved. And, and we kind of live in a societal understanding of these things where it's very reciprocal. You, you give and then you'll get it. You have to earn these things. But that's not what it is to be loved. I want to show you a picture of beloved. Here's a picture of beloved. This is my granddaughter, and she is just beloved. This is just an opportunity for me to show off my grandkids, right? She has done nothing to earn my love except be who she is. She was born, and she was born beloved. You are the same. You are loved by God not because you've done the right thing. You are not beloved by God because you have forsaken the wrong things. You are not even just loved by God because Jesus died for you, so now you can be loved. Again, we've talked about that in the past. You are loved because God loves you for you, that you are of value to God, that he so loved you that he would offer his only son. Beloved is the story that unwrites every line of scarcity in our lives. Beloved is, tells, tells us that we are loved and it is our birthright. The musician songwriter, songwriter Brandy Carlisle talks about when she first heard Psalm 23. It was in the traditional King James version where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And it was at a funeral for her grandfather. And that idea of I shall not want, she felt took it to mean in our language, well, that means I, I 
can't want anything. I can't desire anything. The Lord's my shepherd, so I can't desire other things. And that didn't sit well with her. It wasn't a healthy place. It wasn't something that she could understand. And then when Brennan Manning gave a different understanding and she said the that it's the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. All of a sudden it resonated in her. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing because he's gonna withhold nothing from me. It's not about, well, I gotta make sure I don't desire wrong things or I desire right things. It's because he is my shepherd, I don't have this lack. And I think it's important to recognize that just as we don't really use this word Lord anymore, We also don't use the word shepherd anymore. But it it was something that was common at the time. And when we hear this word, the Lord is my shepherd, here is where things can get a little bit sticky, at least for me, especially for those of us who have had bad experiences from someone who has been called a shepherd. Those who have been positions of leadership over us who are supposed to, quote, shepherd us and maybe didn't do a good job. Or it could even be that authority of a parent who didn't do a good job, where we start putting this position of someone who's over us, lording over us, having power, having authority over us at a place where we feel a little bit vulnerable and gun-shy because of things that have happened to us. And I've shared before about some of the things that have happened to me from people who were, quote, my shepherd. After my twins were born, I had to go to a high school retreat because I was the youth pastor. My wife was still in the hospital with the twins, and I was gone for the weekend because I had to go. And I just remember being like comatose. I remember being at this. I don't remember a whole lot about that retreat, except I felt numb. The most incredible experience had just happened to me my, I saw my wife give birth to twins and then you need to go to the retreat. It's like, but my wife's in the hospital. I have to go. You got to go. We don't have anyone else. I don't care. I should, I, and I, I look back and I wish I would have had the courage to say, I'm not going. But I was in fear of losing my job. I had to go because my Shepherd was telling me, this is the work of the Lord. This is your ministry. You've got to make sure the ministry, it's like the show must go on. It's like the ministry must go on. It's like, no, it doesn't have to go on, right? I remember having to come down from a vacation with my family from, I think we were in Big Bear, and I had to come down to play three songs for a prayer meeting instead of just saying, no, you don't have to have music for this prayer meeting. You're, you're okay without it. You're laughing. I was crying, right? It was just like, no. I mean, I look back at it and it's like, I just said, no, that's unreasonable. I had her being given two weeks' notice after serving for 14 years because we had to financially make room for the shepherd's son in law. Right? These are all my experiences of having a shepherd that didn't deal with things the right way. And I don't want to just say them because now I'm in this role and I need to be sensitive to places where I don't do things well, where I assert authority over people in a way that isn't healthy. And so when we think of shepherd, this idea, the role of a shepherd, 
It's had a different agenda than caring for us as beloved. It's been used to build the ministry or, or build an ego. It's been used for other purposes than for the fact that we are loved and wanted to be cared for. And so it's important to recalibrate how when we hear the Lord is our shepherd, how that makes us feel. And if you have feelings like, I haven't had a good experience with that, or you feel indifferent, then we have to understand what it means to be loved and what it means to have someone who has power to love you in such a way that they want to care for you. Because that's where we have to start. Remember, right after Jesus was called beloved, the spirit drove him into the wilderness where Satan tempted Jesus to basically shepherd without suffering. And the temptations there were to help him conduct what he was supposed to do in a way that was easy. One of the most painful and important realities to to grasp hold of, of a life of following Christ is that our belovedness doesn't guarantee us ease. That Christ's baptism as beloved didn't wrap his life into a swaddle of security and it doesn't with our life either. That he was driven to the wilderness. And the idea of having a shepherd may come with some resistance because having a shepherd among other things means that we are vulnerable. The reason we have a shepherd is because we are in a place of danger and needing one. Biblical scholar Kenneth Bailey describes the beginning line of Psalm 23 by saying, the Lord is my shepherd among other things means I have no police protection. I'm in a place that is dangerous. I am in a world that is dangerous. And so I have to have someone who watches over me. But then the temptation of Jesus, the Lord is my shepherd means there is no one here but God to protect us. And that has been true for so many throughout history where that's all that they've had. And the temptation of Jesus among other things was to remove himself from among us to place himself in a position of privilege to have more, hurt less, and rule faster. That was the temptation. You can get these things without going through the difficulties. Remember the first temptation, if you're the son of God, he'd been fasting 40 days, then say to this bread or stones, become bread. If you're the son of God, you can turn the stone to bread. And Jesus' response wasn't the son of God will not. He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He identified himself not as the son of God, not as a person who was over, but as a person, as a man. This is not how we are going to get through this. We are not gonna get through this miraculously. We're not gonna get through this by some you know, means that removes the hunger and removes the pain. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We are gonna be in a place of vulnerability and that's the necessity of our lives. And that is why we need a shepherd because this is where we find ourselves in a place where there is need. 
a place where we hunger, a place where we thirst, a place where there is pain. We forget that the places touched by pain are the places Christ chose to go. The places where we feel abandoned, angry, and afraid are the places where Jesus has walked. This is what the good shepherd does, is walk with us in those places, not just take us out of them. We would like that, but that did not happen with him, and it doesn't happen with us. And I think we've all experienced enough to know that that's the case. The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I lack. Now, those are difficult words because I can think of a lot of things that I'm lacking. First thought, you know, that comes to my mind, well, I'm lacking, you know, the monetary security that I I need to, you know, feel safe. I'm lacking, you know, whatever. You can fill in the blanks of the things that you feel are lacking. I'm lacking health. Some people who are suffering some ailments. I'm lacking, you know, um, the security of a home or the peace of a home, people who are struggling in their environments at home. We live in a world and a culture, again, of scarcity. We feel that we are not healthy enough, strong enough, or doing enough that we simply aren't enough, that we need more, that the idea of not lacking is foreign because we're always needing something. And I'm so guilty of this. It doesn't matter what phone I have. When a new one comes out, I want it because I am lacking the latest technology. I'm just always wanting to fill this idea of scarcity. Maybe if we had more possessions, we'd feel like we belong. Maybe if we had more power, we'd feel safe. Maybe if we could prove our worth, we'd finally be loved. And it's interesting to see people with so much less than us live such full lives. Times where I've been to Mexico and some of the colonies and see the parents with their kids and they're having fun or in Haiti. And it's like, these people aren't acting like they don't have anything, but by our standards... They don't. If, I don't. if I don't have a toilet with running water, I lack. But there are people without these things who don't feel lack, who don't feel like they're missing out. And it's amazing to see young children act like the world is theirs, though they have very little in comparison to those, say, who are wealthy. Jesus said, life doesn't consist by the abundance of what we possess, but it's really in the abundance of who possesses us. And I think that's where we have to have the focus and and transition. We have to pivot with this place of, okay, what do I need into a place where who am I and who do I belong to? Because that is the lack. That is where we don't lack. King David writing this psalm, went through incredible hardships where Saul was trying to kill him, where his throne was being taken from him, where he had to be able to live in these circumstances. And these words come out when he is in these places because that's where they're born, is when we are lacking in the world sense we find that there is a place that does not lack.
We are all born looking for someone who is looking for us. We are all born wanting to have this idea of being loved met, not because of what we have or what we do, but because of who we are. And he lets me lie down in green pastures. The traditional translation of Psalm 23.2 is, he makes me lie down, which sounds like putting a toddler on a timeout, right? He makes me lie down. On... But this can lead us into a story of either punishment or peace, depending on our understanding of the shepherd. But more clear understanding of this verse is actually he settles me down. And think of the difference that makes when you think of God settles me down to he makes me lie down. Right? It's huge. Life is traumatic. But we understand, and the doctor and addiction expert, Gaber Met, writes that trauma is not so much what happens to us but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. So when our past experience of stress or harm has been ignored or shamed or silenced, then it can build us into people who expect to be alone with our pain, and then the pain shows up in our lives, in our bodies. Our past shapes our present and projects our future, but our present experiences can change the way we sense the past and hold hope for the future if we are seen and if someone is present with us in the struggles that we go through. And this is where the Lord settles us down, where All hell is breaking out around us and we feel that we aren't seen and we feel like nobody knows and there is a shepherd who is able to settle us down in the middle of the struggles that we are experiencing. And that helps us to have a different experience than just, you know, you pull it together, just, you know, bury it down inside and keep on going and hold on to that No one knows what's going on in me. No one knows the pain I'm feeling. No one knows the problems I have. No one knows the the things I do. No one knows the the bad that is in me. No one sees the, the dirt under my nails. No one experiences the true me. And so I can't be who I really am because if I was, I would not be loved. And the Lord settles us down where we really are and is present with us. And that is how trauma is able to be addressed in us, is having the ability to express it, the ability to acknowledge it and be seen with it. There is a shepherd who stands with scars still on his hands, who is always reaching toward you in every moment of your stress and in your pain because he has been where you are and knows the way home.
And courage isn't the opposite of fear. Courage is the practice of risking to trust that we have a good shepherd who is with us always, no matter what. And our struggles can actually become a place to practice being settled down by the shepherd. When I'm training dogs that are fearful, I have a dog that, you know, if a skateboard goes by, they just freak out and want to get out of there because who knows what that monstrosity is or a trash truck. Because in their mind, that thing is going to kill me. And so what I do is I bring an awareness to the dog that see that trash truck or that other dog on the other side of the fence or behind, you know, or on a leash. They can't get to you. I know what they don't know. I know that they're safe. And so what I have to do is help settle the dog down so that when these things happen, they understand that they're still secure. That when we go through the struggles, it's actually a place where we become settled down by the shepherd who's with us. Where we start to understand that these things that I'm going through aren't forever and they don't determine who I am. That I'm still beloved even though I'm dealing with chronic pain or illness. I am still beloved even though I'm going through a divorce. I'm still beloved even though I lost my job or fill in the blanks. Being settled is allowing there to be created within us this neural pathway that gets paved by our habits and choices. When we settle down in these situations and instead of going into panic, go into the, a recognition of I'm still loved by God, that starts to become normalized in our life. It starts to become a place where it's like a path in the wilderness. Our choice to trust instead of giving into the fear and spiraling into depression. It's not ignoring what's happening. It's recognizing God with us in the reality of what's happening. Remember, false shepherds will always make us lie down in submission, but true shepherds settle us down into safety with their presence. It's not wrong to feel stress or to be scared. It's important and essential to acknowledge it. Fear is a good thing. If you're in danger, you should feel afraid so that you can move out of danger Otherwise, we're just creating more trauma. But with every heartbreaking thing we experience, we can practice placing the energy of our emotions into the context of a story where there is a good shepherd who always wants to respond to us with love. But it takes practice. And he settles us down in green pastures that are connected to the not lacking the shepherd will lead us to a place that has what we need. He will lead us to a place that is going to produce within us things that are beneficial, even though around us it might seem like a desert and a wilderness. And then it says, he leads me. The psalm describes us as sheep. And if you're like me, you've been told that sheep are stupid. 
right? My whole Christian life, I, that has been the illustration. Well, you know, sheep are stupid, and you know, we are sheep, so the connection is we're just stupid. And sheep have become Christianity's pet metaphor for submission. If sheep aren't smart and scripture says we're like them, how can we trust our sense of wisdom about anything, about what's good, about what's true, about what's right? You're just a sheep. You need guidance. And then many of us have heard that narrative that feeling, feelings are fickle. You can't trust what you feel and they're lying to us. And so we need to trust the scriptures or more accurate, accurately, we need to trust what those who are calling themselves shepherds are teaching us about the scriptures. And so this idea of not being able to trust yourself because you're dumb, not being able to trust your feelings because they're gonna lie to you has put us in a place of, again, submission to people who will then tell you how you should feel, how you should react to situations instead of you being able to wrestle with the things that you actually go through. But here's a newsflash. Sheep are much smarter than a lot of pastors give them credit for. And so the sheep shepherd metaphor might mean something more than what we've been told. The researchers at Cambridge discovered that the brain of a sheep are remarkably similar to ours, that they can recognize familiar human voices and faces, even from photographs. We should start putting family of sheep up in the barn, right? It's like, this is... Maybe the sheep shepherd metaphor isn't meant to make us feel small, maybe rather than stoking self-contempt or mistrust of ourselves, the strong flock instinct of sheep is meant to humble us of how interdependent and vulnerable we are to each other's sense of scarcity and stress. It puts us in connection, not lowers us in status. And maybe we're like sheep who need a shepherd because there are so many predators both outside and within the church who will devour our vulnerability. Christ does not lead us outside of our sense of awareness or emotional capacities, but within them. Fear is good when it warns us of danger. Skepticism can save us from buying a timeshare or trusting someone with a fancy title. Courage is practicing listening to Christ, even from within the stress of our own bodies, especially when your body is telling you something is wrong. I wish I would have said no when everything in me was saying, I can't leave my wife and kids. They, they were just born. My body was telling me that whole weekend I was in trauma. And I wish I would have been able to listen and said, no, this is wrong. I feel it. And when I was told, well, you can't trust your feelings, it's like, screw you. Something is wrong. I wouldn't have said that, but you know what I mean. I wish I would have listened to what was happening within me. And then stepping toward the true good shepherd based on what you hear, even if that means confronting and leaving the shepherds and systems you've always been taught deserve your loyalty. So much of our identity has been, for many people, has been silenced. And a good shepherd doesn't do that. 
He leads us beside quiet waters. David sings of a shepherd who leads us to quiet waters where our stress can be soothed, our thirst can be quenched. His song lifts our eyes to a lands- the landscape of our thirst where only the shepherd knows the way to the water that we need. Philip Keller writes, the shepherd knows where the best watering spots are for the flock, and it is the shepherd who usually at great personal cost and effort provides places to drink. It's so helpful to me to see Jesus in a place that he identifies with me. He's not just the God who came down. He is the man who I can resonate with. And so before the Passover meal, Jesus took water and washed the disciples' feet. Before the ministry began, he was baptized into repentance through water. The idea of this water is an identification with us in the lowest positions. A slave is the one who does the washing of feet. It is the sinner who is baptized to repentance. And Jesus meets us in these places. Our body is composed of 60% water. The heart alone is made up of about 73%. Our lungs, 83%. Without water, we'll die. Our thirst reminds us we have a need of something outside of ourselves to keep us alive. I think baptism is doing the same. It's telling us I need more than just me to be alive. Jesus brought us to the water of bending down low himself. He stooped down being human, being baptized by giving this time and attention to those who the religious people marginalized and saw as unworthy. By washing feet, by blessing those in need, he was exalted not onto a stage, but to a cross. The shepherd leads us to living water at the greatest cost for himself so that we can find life. Like sheep, our spiritual and emotional thirst for love and safety leads us to drink from water from where we can get it. And then in the system of scarcity, we learn to leave the most discouraged and doubting parts of ourselves outside our churches and friendships. We aren't sure the good shepherd actually wants to be with us because We've barely experienced that kind of love in the people who are in authority over us, welcoming any of our weaknesses or vulnerabilities, embracing them, seeing them as who we are and loved there. Especially, I think, in the American church, it's hard to know what it feels like to drink deep beside quiet waters because we're too busy trying to keep up with the society's and shepherd's desire to succeed, to, to build. We've looked for love from people who prefer standing on stages than bending down in basins. And so we often hustle hard to, to build the kingdom when we're really just striving for a belonging that was already ours to begin with. In a world of judgment and self-protection, both the waters of baptism and the cost of the cross 
should be conforming us into a posture of inclusion and in kindness, starting with refusing to reject the hurting parts that are happening even within ourselves. Baptism bathes us in humility and hope that even that which tries to drown us is but a motion of movement, of resurrection, and that every time we dip into darkness, there's a voice that's saying, you're my beloved, you're mine, and will raise us back up. That's the voice of the good shepherd. That's the voice I hope we hear over the voices that maybe we've heard in the past. That you don't belong, you aren't good enough. The labor of trying to please and earn some kind of recognition as being of value in the kingdom of God. It's not the way of the good shepherd. That's now not how he leads us. May we recognize that in our own lives. Let's pray. Father, I hope that our understanding is continually growing and maturing in where we are in relationship to who you are. And we're so grateful for Jesus and his example to not lord over us, to humble himself for our benefit, to identify with us so that we in turn could identify with him as beloved. And I pray you would bring healing into our lives, those of us who have gone through trauma and hurt from people in authority, those who have had to silence the voices crying within us that this isn't right and been told to submit to leadership, to their shepherd, have been put in a place where what we feel is discarded. Lord, may we find healing in those places that where we hurt, where we've been wounded, that that is where you are present and that is where you are going to help settle us to find peace. I pray it happen, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. May we recognize that the Lord is a good shepherd and we do not lack because we are beloved. May we allow him to settle us where we are with who we are in the love of who he is. God bless you guys. Have an amazing week. Again, we're going to stick around, have a little bit more conversation. Thank you guys for tuning in. You have been listening to the Genesis podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com 
as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.